we are taking up an offering for Mary Friend. Uh, you know, if you guys want to give to that, that's perfectly fine. We're going to do something for her. Her car broke down a few months back, and the Lord had really, it was actually weird. Dad and I were sitting in the office, and we had started talking about, you know, he said, Mary Friend needs a new car. And so, I, so we brought up the subject again, and, um, you know, and so I texted her, and I said, hey, Dad says, blah, 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 you know, we want to do something for you. And she said, well, how did you know my car broke? And I said, we didn't know. It was just... I think that's what you call a word of knowledge. You just, word pops up. We're learning that in Bible school next month, the gifts of the Spirit. And um, so, and we'll be doing a little bit of that Sunday, but we decided, I told Dad, I said, that must have been God because uh, her car broke down and she's been driving it. And she, you know, it costs her more to get it. If you don't know who Dr. Varalu is, she will be here in January and you are going to meet the, the prophet that's been coming here for 30 years. She is amazing. We just had services at Pastor Doug's church and um, probably some of the, She's definitely moved into a more of a corporate where she's, you know, dealing with the body corporately, but she's imparting corporately um, as well. And I, honestly, I've loved to give in. The Bible says you give to a prophet, you'll get a prophet's reward. And um, I always said to myself, I'm not totally sure what that was, but I, you know, I want to find out. So when uh, the other night, I don't know how many people were at Doug's church the other uh, Sunday night, but Mary Fran walked in the back room and Doug Bankston said, well, we're going to take up an offering tonight for Dr. Varallo. And then he said, uh, Pastor Justin, he has the word, get up and give it. And I said, what? <laughs> and so when I, I got up and um, I literally just walked to the front and, and those moments, Mary Friend told me one time, she says, don't ever think you just obey in the moment. She says, that's one of the gifts that God, how God will deal with the prophet and the prophetic utterances and a word of knowledge that will come out if you start thinking about if the Lord tells you to say something to somebody and you start in your mind, you know, going back and forth with it, you're going to start questioning whether you should say it to that person. Sometimes you just, just say it and you're like, like, listen, hey, if I'm wrong, you know, ate a lot of pizza last night, had some bad milk, but if it's God, then, you know, take it. If it's not, throw it out. That's what Brother Hagin used to say. If it, if it registers with your spirit, usually a prophecy or, or a word of knowledge is something God is already talking to a person about. If somebody comes up to you and tells you something you don't know, uh, they may not be a prophet or they may not be giving you a word of knowledge. Uh, and sometimes they, you know, that can happen, but most of the time with a word of knowledge, they're, they're telling you something God's already been speaking to you about. So anyways, I got up and I got to, um, I had no idea what I was going to say. And that's one of the scariest things about being a preacher is you get up and you have no notes. They always say be instant in season and out of season, right? But it's okay. The Lord gave me a dream months ago that I was standing in front of a group of people and I had no notes and to trust him. And I woke up and I said, no, that's the scariest thing I've ever. So I, I got up. I literally remember this. I got up and I walked around and I stood like this and I put my Bible down and I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm going to say. And as soon as I turned around and laid my Bible down, I just started talking. And I talked for like 20 minutes. I had no idea what I said. And, I mean, uh, Doug's dad was crying, and people, uh, Megan was back there amening with Ocell. And uh, I remember a few things what I said, given a lot of testimonies of things that have happened. And uh, I remember sitting down, and Doug was like, that was a great offering message. Wow, that was, you know, one of, a, the, one of the best ones we've had or something for her. And he said, that was really good. And I said, I don't have any idea what I said. So later I talked to Mary Fran, and she said, that's one of the gifts that I have, and you stepped into that place, and that's for you now. And so, I mean, and I plan on whatever she gives me, I'm just going to throw it and spread it all over to you guys. But I learned that 
every time she would come or something and the Lord would say, bless her or take care of her and honor her, uh, has opened doors for a lot of those gifts that she has to start coming, you know, into me. And so I always feel, um, uh, Mark Hankin says, where you're sowing is where you're going. So he would look at Brother Hagin's meetings and where Brother Hagin was and the ministry he had, and he says, do your sowing where you're going. So he wanted that anointing that Brother Hagin had, so he started sowing um, into that and following Brother Hagin. And that's exactly, uh, Dad says that Mark Hankins is probably the closest to a Brother Hagin meeting you'll ever go to because of that same anointing. So uh, that's up to you guys. We're, we're going to do something for her and give. I mean, you just at any point, you know, she's, um, people are giving to her and she's, you know, collecting and then she's going to go out and get herself a new car. But I said, that is absolutely crazy that she is a woman of her caliber and preached all over the world and done crusades and changed, I mean, she's changed our life and yet she's driving this old car. It's this old, it's a nice Lexus, but it's just, you know, falling apart. So I said, we need to take care of her. Um, so Anyways, we're going to go ahead and take up the offering. That's my offering message. We have a special uh, gift for you after. Pastor Lisa is going to be preaching. You want to know something funny? Facebook popped up today and said that Pastor Lisa preached last year on November 17th. I don't know. Maybe we've got to get some Jonathan Kahn and start connecting all the dots, the prophecy or something. Anyways, go ahead and bring your offering. Hit play on the music. Is there any music? Oh, there's no music. There's no band. Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells you so. Weak, but we are, yeah, you can, um, you can do both. If you do something for Mary Friend, put it in an envelope and label it for her. That, that would help us out. Well, that was, uh, we hadn't have a band, so sorry about that. I just had to endure. Anyways, we can welcome Pastor Help me Lisa. Up. Help me up. All right. Praise the Lord. Somebody's running. Amen. Good to see you all tonight. I don't know how long I'm going to stand up here, okay? This is new for me. First time ever. I know it looks great for... Uh, no, it's not new for me to stand up on the stage and sing. I don't seem to have a problem with that. <laughs> but to preach, like, that's kind of weird. But I know that it's, uh, it looks better for Facebook. So, um, hey, you know, is this about making our online crowd happy? I don't know. But <laughs> praise the Lord. I will probably come up and down so y'all don't, you know, y'all don't mind me. Um, Hopefully, I don't fall on my face, but um, praise the Lord. Anyways, I'm excited to be here tonight. Are you excited to be here? Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to talk fast, so you need to listen fast. Amen. So the truth is, is that I want to talk about something that we don't really talk about a lot. We talk about a lot of things. You talk about a lot about growing up in God, and, and those are great, great, great things. That's what we're here to do as pastors, to grow you up, to do the work of the ministry. A amen. For the edification of the body of Christ. But tonight, I want to talk about you. Is that okay? I want to talk about you and your place in the body of Christ because we don't really talk about that a lot. We're learning some things in Bible school and some great things, and I think it's good for y'all to hear. I mean, I hope that maybe in the future this, this might go on our How to Help series. I don't know. But I want to tell you and show you who you are in the body of Christ. Are you, are you game for that? Yes. Amen. Because sometimes I think that we get caught up, and not on purpose, we get caught up in the ministry, the fight 
five-fold ministry gift that's very much out front, very much seen, right? The prophets, the apostles, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, and what they're to be doing for you. But, you know, you guys sit there. You all sit there and go, well, what about me? You know, what am I supposed to be doing? Because not everybody's called to fivefold ministry. But Jesus, and I'm going to read to you Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and 1 Corinthians 12, 28, that Jesus set a ministry in the church. He set it. It's not fivefold, but the word of God, I'm going to show you in the word of God where it says he set you all in the church. And um, when Jesus sets something up, well, we want to go with it. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. If you're already there, I'll start. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. Not for us to do the equipping and the work and the edifying. We're to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Amen? And for the edifying of the body of Christ, keep going until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That means to grow us up into a mature state. Amen? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Children, little children, believe anything and everything you say. That's why it's very important what you say to them. Amen? But we can be little children in the body of Christ too. So, but we want to grow you up so you know what's deceit and what's not. Amen. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head. Who's the head? Who's the head? Christ, right? From whom the whole body joined and knit together. Everybody say joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part, that means you are a part, does its share. You don't get to just sit there and enjoy some nice teaching and go home and go about your normal routine. You don't get to. You actually get to be a blessing also to the body of Christ. And so it says that the whole body joined, not just the five-fold ministry, not pastors and teachers, right, and prophets, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing what? Causing growth. We want the body, the whole body, the universal body of Christ to grow, right, for the edifying of itself in love. I want to ask you a question. If anybody, has anybody ever had joint pain before? Okay, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can say yes. Um, you know, it, it does not feel good. Has anyone ever broken a joint or a ligament? Anybody? It, it is not good. It's not good when that's missing and that's out of operation. Well, this is very important. It says every joint supplies. When you have a joint in your body that's not working, it's not supplying anymore. And I'm going to tell you a quick story. In February, I went snow skiing with my husband. First morning... First 10 minutes at the beginning of the slope, first out the gate. We were the first out the gate with a couple other guys on snowboards. I mean, I get out there with my backpack, 8 o'clock in the morning. Come on, baby, let's go. Yeah. So he starts to take off, and it's pretty, it's pretty steep, just this little piece before we go on our way, whether it's blues, greens, but there's just this little steep piece right out of the gate from our hotel. And um, he just kind of 
wasn't quite ready. My husband wasn't quite ready, and he, and he kind of went off the side and just fell down. Just fell down. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't just stand here and just go my way. That's wrong. So I go over at an angle to try to help him. Just right there, try to lift him up. And because we're at this pretty steep slope angle, now I fall. So he's fallen. I fall because I'm trying to help him up. And I fall on this joint right here. My whole body weight came crashing down on this joint on my thumb. Well, you know, your, your hands hold the poles. So absolutely, I thought I had broke it. I don't know. I, I don't know what I'd done. But it was all swollen up, and it hurt like the Dickens. And immediately, you know, I had a glove on, and I put snow on it. Just, just ice, right? Just put snow in my glove. Just my hands are freezing, and it's just throbbing. But no, what do I do? You know, I go and I ski the rest of the day. But I keep putting putting ice and snow in my glove, and I'm, I'm holding my, my rod like this, you know, and uh, it's just, I'm, I'm probably not always wise, but I hate the, hated the fact that I was just out the gate, and I'm just going to throw away it now a whole day, but I'm telling you that that hurt for a long time. It got better throughout the week, but it hurt for a long time. I couldn't even move it like I am now. It was like that. I couldn't even move it in without, I'm just trying to say that when your joints aren't working, they're not supplying what it needs, and I couldn't pick up anything. Yeah. Yeah. And when I came to church the following week, I, I don't know exact dates, it could have been a Tuesday night Bible study for our first year, I happened to mention something to Reverend Frank about what happened, and he didn't, you know, waste any time, and, and he laid his hands on it, I just happened to tell him the story, and right then... There was a 50% total all pain going away, like 50% now more usage in my hand. And then someone else later on got an agreement with me and laid hands on it, and now, now I have total usage of, of this thumb. The, the point being is that when a joint is not working, it's not supplying. And so the truth is, is that Jesus said every joint supplies. Every one of you have a supply, and if you're not supplying, we're not getting it, and you're robbing us from it. Doesn't mean you're in the fivefold ministry, but everybody has been given gifts and talents by the Lord Jesus, and you have a supply, and it is for the body of Christ. Every part does its share, and if you're not doing your share, we're missing out on your share. We're missing out on your share. And we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about it a lot. But let's, let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and then I'm going to go backwards, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says this. Jesus, or say God, but Jesus is God. God has appointed these in the church. God has appointed. Who appoints? God, God appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, and helps, helps. God appointed helps in the church. It's not all about the miracle worker, which is great, but it is about the helps and the administrations. Administrations is like governments, not structures of church, but pastors like a government. He oversees the local body. Amen. So, but that little word helps gets really, you know, glassed over a lot, 
God set these and appointed these in the church. And helps ended up in that list. Amen? So let's go backwards into 1 Corinthians 12. Let's go backwards. And it says in... uh, I'm going to read fast, but verse 12 says the body is one and has many members. Think about your own body. But all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. He's the head. We're the body, right? Skip down to 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it not of the body? The answer is no, it is of the body. If the whole body was an eye, that would actually be a fearsome sight to behold. Come on, let's think about it. If we all were an eyeball, we're all clumped together, and you got this big eyeball full of roving eyes walking down the aisle. Come on, that looks kind of gross. If you think about it, maybe some kids would think it would cool, but I don't think it's cool. What if we all were in ear, be a bunch of ears clumped together walking down an aisle? Think about your body. What if you were all just hands? You had no eyes, you had no nose, no ear. You're just a bunch of hands walking down an aisle. No, that's not how God set it up. It says God has set the members in the body as he pleased. The way he made us naturally, he's making an anomaly. He's making an example. I think the way he made people look, looks great. Two arms, two hands, two legs, a head, two eyes. I think the way he said it looks great. But he's saying, I've also set these in the spiritual, in the body of Christ too. And the eye cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. Tracy, do you want to be without your ear? No. I don't want to be without this thumb. I'm just talking about a thumb. I don't like to be without it. You know, I was going down the slope with one pole, basically. Sometimes no poles because I was in such pain. But the truth is, is that if you were to think about right now, what part of your body would you be willing to give up? Come on, just think about it. If there was any part, well, when I teach this class, sometimes people would say, um, a little toe or something like that. Have you ever lost your little toe? I almost did. I almost had it totally severed and cut off because I was doing something dumb as a kid, (laughs) right? I was being the $6 million man right? Which I'm a woman, but I wanted to be the $6 million man. So I saw a little movie on TV and saw him running down that hill, chasing after an old lady in a wheelchair down the California cliff. And at the last second, he saves her, you know, the bionic man, whatever he was. And so I decided at at whatever second grade is, eight years of age, I ran outside as athletic as I am. And I thought, I'm just going to pretend I'm the $6 million man running down a hill, saving an old lady in a wheelchair. And I am just zooming around my trailer, my mobile home. And you know, those mobile homes have those aluminum little skirts and little fences that dads and moms put out with the flowers. So I'm zooming one, two, three. Well, you get tired after about the third or fourth zoom and so I get too close to one of those aluminum fences that were cut off and my little toe snagged the edge of the cut off part of the fence and uh, it was hanging by a string so all I'm saying I won't get into all what went on after that all I'm saying is that missing the use of that toe for the next three months was not fun 
And that's what I'm trying to get across to you tonight. The Bible says you do not say to another member in the body, I don't need you. One is not more better than the other. Now let's read what God says about this down here. He says, uh, verse 21, I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head. Who's the head? Jesus is the head. The head, Jesus, cannot say to you, if you happen to be a foot, I have no need of you. No much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on those we bestow greater honor. Our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part that lacks it. Why? That there be no fighting, no schisms in the body, but that the members should have what? The same care for one another. If one member suffers, all members suffer. Amen? Verse 25, now you are the body of Christ and members individually right so the truth is is that when it talks about our presentable parts have no need what does that mean the parts that are up here in front of the audiences you're already seeing them they have no need in that sense they are in the scene but the parts that are behind the scenes cleaning the church working in the nursery helping a family be able to learn the word of God, get saved while they take care of their kids for an hour. You know, this is, no, this is not a pull for you guys to go sign up for the nursery tonight. I'm just going to say that flat out. I don't have, I don't have a table out there and I don't have a sign up list. You know, we, we want you to, to find your place, but that's not what this sermon is for tonight. Every one of us, when, when you sit, God sits. When you move, God moves. When you stand, God stands. He's not going to do it apart from you. Right. Amen. Amen. And the beauty of it all is that when I was very young, I, I didn't know all this, but I knew one thing in my heart. I was to, the Bible says in John 12, 24 and 25, it says that if you find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you'll hate your life or basically lay down your life unselfishly for the Lord. Not like, oh, I hate my life, you know, I'm always burning my food, my husband's a pain. That's not what that means, okay? If you hate your life means you're going to, you're going to lay your life down for the selfish things that you're always wanting to do, and you're going to give that time to the Lord. The Lord knows you have, need downtime, but you don't need to have a Friday night dinner every week, right. right? You don't need to go out every night. You don't need to be living for yourself every day. Give that to the Lord and he'll give back to you. Amen. But the beauty of it is God set that in the church. Amen. He has set this ministry in the church and that is the ministry's help. It is supernatural. What does that mean? What does helps mean? What does the ministry of helps mean? It means to render help and assistance to the weak and the needy. It's supernatural. Is there someone weaker than you that possibly you could help anybody in this church you don't have to have a label or a title to help somebody to make them a dish to to give them an encouraging word you don't have to necessarily sign up but you need to be doing your share 
and you need to be supplying. Now, here's, here's what I hear. I'm going to walk down for a minute. Here's what I hear a lot, especially as a leader. I've been pastoring this church for 32 years, plus some months, 33 this Easter. And we ask for people to help. You know, I mean, if, if you've got eight available services to come to, could you do one hour out of those eight services? Hours are basically, the services are basically two hours from start to finish, give or take some. Two times eight is 16 hours. Could you do one of those hours? Could you help somebody? Could you help a child learn the word of God? Could you take care of someone's baby just for an hour, one out of 16 that's available to you while a mama gets help, while a mama grows in the, in the Lord, while a husband and wife get their life together and they hear a sermon Valentine's Day about marriage and how to love each other and walk in love. We're talking one hour out of 16. Yeah. And so um, I've heard this statement all my life working in the church. And it happens to be the ones that think they're spiritual, but they're not so spiritual, actually. They'll say to me, I don't feel led. So I think what I need to do from now on is I need to walk up to somebody when they say, I don't feel led, and put some lead in their hand and say, do you feel it now? Do you feel it now? So there's lead in the church, so let's go. Amen? So the problem is, is that what that really means most of the time is I'm selfish. That's what it means. I'm selfish. Now, it may not be that particular area, but for to always turn down, I don't feel led, I don't feel led, I don't feel led. If you're not helping anybody at any time, there's definitely many opportunities. Rosa doing an outreach in Honduras. We're getting ready to do a big one in March. We're getting ready to hand out, you know, uh, bikes to kids right before Easter. Yeah. Amen? Um, there's, a, there's a place in our lives that God is saying, I want you to help somebody who's weaker and who is more needy than you are. And you need to pray. If you don't know what that place is, when I was a young girl, I'm like, God, just use me. I'll do what you say do. I'll go where you say go. I didn't put any limits on him. I didn't tell him that I had to stay home. I didn't tell him that I had to stay with my mom and dad or stay close to my mom and dad. I said, I'll go where you say go. I just want to be pleasing to you. And I knew that God would take care of the rest. Boy, when you pray that prayer to God, he totally, totally, flat out starts telling you things to do. Oh, yeah. And he, you know, I didn't ever think, at, at first, I didn't think I was going to be a pastor's wife. But as I started being put in these positions and God started anointing me, I'm like, well, maybe I am. Maybe I am going to be a missionary's wife or somebody who loves Jesus a whole, whole lot like me. Because I don't seem to be happy without loving him like this. And I don't think I can be married to someone that's not going to love him as much as I love him. And be willing to do for him whatever he says do. Yeah. Amen? So every joint supplies. Think about the joints in your body. If it ain't, if it ain't supplying, it ain't working. And you're missing out. Your body's missing out. So we're missing out. You have gifts to give. Every one of you. You have gifts to give. And my lead is rolling away. Praise the Lord. Don't be a respecter of persons. Where's that book, Miss Teresa? Don't be a respecter of persons. Don't look down on people. Now, here's what we hear sometimes. I'm gonna, here's what we hear sometimes. And it happens usually in, in the departments where people are watching the smaller children in the kids' church. I've heard this for years. 
you know, and they come back and they don't know. They're just being whatever they're being. And they're saying to the nursery worker that has spent that last hour helping a family learn about Jesus, and they'll say to them, boy, you missed it today. Service was awesome. <laughs> and what I would say to them is you missed it. You missed it because the blessing they're going to get is the same blessing that, they, that Jesus has for pastor. Because what they did in secret and invisibly, they stood up right here beside him, lifting up the hands of Moses while he gave out the word. They were on one side, the other ones were on this side, and they were preaching the word of God, taking care of and being that joint in his body that supplied Jesus' body, but in the local body, pastors, the under shepherd, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Amen. It all, it runs and flows down from the head. And so when you are lifting up the hands of Moses, the arms of Moses and keeping it strong, then there you go. God, the battle is being won and God is counting that win just as if you were standing in this pulpit. And what those people don't understand is that they didn't win. The ones in the nursery won. The ones in children's church won. I'm not saying you need to be in the nursery every week. I'm just saying do something to help somebody. Amen. Do something. Bake a cake. Right? Sweep the floor. If you can't change your diaper, mop the floor. Don't you remember the video we saw of the little the Korean assistant pastor of Dr. Yungi Cho? He had the wife that died. And she, she, you know, worked hard in the church. And then uh, he died from a broken heart right after she died. And he went to heaven and he saw the cleaning lady of the church. Not, not, not his wife's mansion. His wife did have a great mansion. But what it really pulled out was that he saw he was walking down the street. The angel on purpose took him down the street. He was the assistant and assistant pastor of a million, million member church. And he walked down the street, and, he, and the angel showed him. He's like, whose house is this? And the little cleaning lady, who had died quite a few years before, came out of this humongous mansion. And he's like, what? The lady that cleaned the church, she's got a mansion like this? And he was so excited. He's like, well, if she's got a mansion like that, I can't wait to walk further down the street and see what my mansion looks like. Mine's got to be at least three or four times bigger than hers. The angel walks him down the street. And he, and there was this little old unfinished couple walls, but no roof. Basically a tiny home without a roof. And he's like, who does this belong to? And the angel says, this is your house. He says, that's not my house. You got the wrong house. I'm an assistant, blah, 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 Dr. Blah, blah, of Dr. Cho's church. He's like, I know you are, but this is your house. He says, why? He says, you've done nothing for me. But sit on your laurels and hold a title. God doesn't care about titles. He doesn't care about titles. He cares about servants. That's what he hears. He says he's going to be great is going to be the servant of all. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And we're supposed to follow that example. And so that man at the end of the day, making a long story very short, said, I got to go back to earth. I got some work to do. I need a roof on my house. I need to start loving people. I need to start doing something. I need to start treating people right. Yeah. But you are beautiful out there. It's not, 
This is not a glorious job. We might be in front of people, but the actual work of the ministry on our end, our part and our share is not glorious at all. We have victories and all that's good and testimonies and you get to hear about many of it, but we have a lot of heartache that comes with it. I will tell you one of, one of the heartaches for a pastor's wife of 33 years almost, and that is attending funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral with three little boys, and not only funeral of old people that were ready to go, funeral of young people, babies, young children, young men, his age, committed suicide that I've been talking to. I've been, we've been helping. We led them to the Lord. We put our arms around them. We, we welcomed them to the sheepfold. And three weeks later, they're dead. Yeah. Hung himself because they couldn't deal with their mind. But they were saved and they went to heaven and I'm rejoicing. Do you know what that did to me as a, a pastor's wife? No, I don't just attend the funerals of my family. I attend the funerals of every family in this church and every Body out there that we know that are pastor's friends. And I got tired of it. And I told my husband, I don't want to go to another funeral. I'm staying home. It hurts me. It hurts me. I don't want to be around death. I know where they are and I'm glad for them. But every time as a young pastor's wife, I'd walk in that that home and see those young kids and babies in in the box Because I'm supposed to be the strong one for them. Hugging them. Telling them it's going to be all right When my babies are that age. And the devil would say to me. You're next. You're next. You're going to feel this pain. That this person's feeling. And I got mad. And I got bitter. I'm like I don't want to do this job. I love you Jesus. But I don't want to do this. Why do I have to show up at every funeral? Why do I have to do this? It's tearing me up emotionally. And the Lord strengthened me. He said, I will help you. I will hold your right hand. I will give you the words to say. And he said, great will be the peace of your children. For they're taught of the Lord. He gave me scripture. Imagine that. He gave me words and verses that were in the Bible. Some I knew and some I had to go find. The Holy Ghost is good. He'll give you a verse that you didn't even know yet. And you're like, I'm going to go look for that. But that's the unglorious part of this job. And the pain that's behind some of that, we don't share and we don't talk about until tonight. And that's, that's enough of that. But God strengthens me, anoints me to do a job. And now I can walk into a funeral and I can, I can distance myself. And I can rejoice that they're in heaven. And it's not my fault. I didn't do this. I didn't cause this. And I don't have to carry the care of what happened, why it happened, and why this failure of death happened way before it's time. I don't have to carry that. The Lord said, that's not your burden to carry. You go in there and you love that person. You don't have to say anything. If you don't want to, you just get up there and hug them and I'll hug them through you. I said, okay. And I was healed. And I never had a bad dream or nightmare again of my own babies laying in a coffin or young men or young kids. And that was it. But, but God, that's my part. That's my joint. 
But I knew I wasn't right in looking at my husband, which I did once. He helped me. He's like, he was kind. He said, you know what, honey? If you don't want to go, it's fine. Many times he says, you don't have to go. <laughs> at the end of the day, I get on my black pants and a nice colored shirt because I didn't like to wear all black to a funeral. But I was half black. I was always half black. I'm like, okay. I'm going to go and I'm going to help you. The last minute. Jump in the car and God would strengthen me. Amen? Amen. So here I am today. It doesn't worry me at all. I was actually rejoicing at my mom and dad's funeral. Like, they're in heaven. Good Lord. Sometimes I wish I was there. But for your sake, I'm glad I'm here. Because I want to help you. I want to help you make it. Amen. I want to read you an awesome definition that an old Pentecostal preacher gave on the ministry of helps. Amen. Here it is. Are you ready? He said, oh, the infinite value of the humble gospel helpers. Thousands of people who have no gifts as leaders in the fivefold, specifically, is what I'm adding, are our number one helpers. How grand revival works, moves along when red hot platoons of fire baptized helpers crowd around God's heroic leaders of the embattled host. That's what you are. Fire baptized helpers. Platoons of them as you gather around the heroic host. No, you're heroes. You know what? Jesus said to us as pastors, and we learned this quite a few years ago, because every month we deal with, at least twice a month, people canceling the position they said they were going to do at the last minute. There are emergencies, but most of the time it's not emergencies. So if, you've got, if, you, if you add emergencies that are real with people that just decide they don't want to come to church today because they feeling a little bit not like they want to come or they want to go to the beach or they want to go to Disney because the family came in at the last minute, at least twice a month, or if not more, we are scrambling on Sunday morning when they let us know. If they let us know. So that got to me. It gets to all of us in the office. But a few years ago, we looked at our whole office staff and we said something like this. That's not our burden to carry or our load to carry. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are burdened, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Here's what we're going to do. Here's our plan B. If nobody comes and nobody does and commits to what their word, and their word means nothing, and every department is left. All the parents get to bring their beautiful children into the service like the old tent Brush Arbor Revivals. Amen. And I'm going to sing my heart out. And pastor's going to preach his heart out. And the babies are going to hear the voice of God. And the parents are going to hear the voice of God. And everybody's going to be under one glorious grand roof. And we're going to have church. Amen. And I'm not going to stress. I spent three months in the bed because of severe adrenal fatigue. It can be stressful. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't stress anymore. And if you die, I don't stress over that either. Yeah. I'm not happy that you're gone because I'm going to miss you the remainder of the time I'm here on earth. But I refuse to carry the weight of it. Amen. It's not mine to carry. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. So, God is good. 
So you miss God by sitting and doing nothing. Don't look down on people. Don't ever, ever walk ever again into the children's or nursery department and say, you missed it. Don't say it. You missed it. And there are people that say, better you than me. And the truth is, is that those people are a better you than me. I'm glad he spoke to you and not me. Truth is, he is speaking to that person. But that person's disobedient. And I'm just shooting it straight. There are times that I, I, I want to do things and I don't want to be here. But that's me laying my life down. I'm going to lay my life down and I'm going to find it. There are people in this church that Miss Teresa was talking about last night who, have, and who had an actual call of God on their life. A call of God, four or five-fold ministry, who disqualified themselves because they didn't want to pay the price. Powerful gift. Powerful gifts. And when, when, when pastor asked them to do something, no, it's none of your business. I don't have to do that. And that gift lies dormant today. Don't be that. Don't be that. doesn't mean that everybody, that, that you know, sometimes it is a stepping stone. Truth is, is that I, I'm not going to tell the story and who the name was because I actually, I forgot the name, but the Lord told one minister and said, I, I bypassed three people before I found you. I mean, how would you like the Lord to say that? I was counting on three other people and they all said no, so I chose you. The truth is, is that, that whatever that was, the truth is, is that that happens all the time. God is trying to use people all the time, and he's having to bypass and bypass and bypass. And I wanted to tell Teresa, well, Teresa, you stayed faithful. Look where you are. You're in this pulpit. There's a reason. She stayed faithful when it was hard. She stayed faithful when we asked her to do things she didn't want to do. And here she is, God promoting her. Not so much us, but we could see the gift. And we could see the obedience, and here she is. And that's just how God works. Amen? Amen. All right. So Good. let's go to Matthew 20, 20 through 26. I'm going to read this on the screen. Matthew 20, 20 through 26. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons. So that's James and John, actually kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, well, what do you wish, mom? She said to him, grant that these two, my sons, may sit, one on your right hand and one on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? In other words, are you willing to die like I'm about ready to die? He's asking the boys that, actually, not so much the mom, the boys. And they, James and John, said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. James died upside down. Or James died. And when he died and they threw Peter in jail, the church started praying. So James died. He did drink that cup. John was boiled in oil on the island of Patmos. 
John was, suffered many things for the revelation that God showed him. He's the one that wrote the book of Revelation. But the truth is, is that Jesus was telling them right there, you're going to, you're going to drink that cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared for by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were ticked. They were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Jesus called them all to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Those who are great exercise authority over them. In uh, quite a few translations, it says they, they're dictators. They're tyrants. You're going to do what I say or off with your head. So those are other, other translations say they're tyrant dictators. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Amen? Say this. God loves servants. Jesus came to serve, and I am here to follow in his footstep. A student is never greater than his teacher. If Jesus was a servant, if Jesus washed feet, then that is what he's asking you to do. And it is a blessing to do that. Amen. Amen. All right. So here goes. So let's, I want to, I want to bring up, um, let's go to Hebrews 10, 16. And I'm going to read this. Hebrews 10, 16. Maybe I didn't give that to you, Megs. Maybe I did, but it doesn't hurt to turn in your own Bible. Amen. Amen. Did I give that to you, Megan? Ah, 610. What do you have? 106. For God is not, 610, sorry. For God is not, just a little dyslexic. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. Say this, God's not unjust to forget my work and my labor of love, which I have shown toward his what? Toward his name? You're not doing the nursery for me. You're doing it as unto the Lord. You're doing it unto Jesus. You're doing it as unto his name. I mean, if you'll get back there and you do those things in your heart to say, Jesus, I'm doing this for you. That baby is Jesus. You're swaddling him. You're comforting her. Mm -hmm. He said, which you have shown toward Jesus's name and that how, how have you shown this to his name? You have ministered to the saints and do minister that now that's a verse that needs to go on your wall. I know maybe that you don't read that in your promise book every morning but that needs to go in your promise box god you are not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you've shown toward which which i've shown toward your name and that i've ministered unto the saints and i do continue to minister amen all right so let's go to let's talk about uh jesus (laughs) something came up in my head um tabitha tabitha is not a book in the Bible, but let's talk about Tabitha. So let's go to Acts 9.36. Acts 9.36. There we go. Joppa, there was a certain disciple. Uh, Yeah, women and girls can be disciples. Amen? Praise the Lord. 
Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Come on, say this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Amen. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died when they washed her. They laid her in the upper room. In an upper room. And since little was near Joppa and the disciples heard Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring, begging him to come down to there. Right? And Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. All the widows stood by, weeping, crying, showing the tunics and the garments, the cloths that Dorcas had made while she was with him. She made lots of clothes for people. But Peter put them all out. Boy, Jesus did that. Right? For the little girl. When, you're all, when they're all crying, they're not really in belief. They're not really in faith at that point. Yeah. Peter's getting ready to do something that requires faith, so we've got to get the crying out of the room. Amen. Peter put them all out, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Amen. He gave her his hand, lifted her up. When he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Would you be possibly found in that number? Would you be a Tabitha that people would be beseeching a prophet, a Smith Wigglesworth, someone, please come raise this person from the dead? Or would they be go, oh, no, they're good. <laughs> we'll be seeing them in heaven, and they'll be much nicer. <laughs> Who are you? Are you someone that everybody's running to the evangelist or the healing evangelist and going, please raise her from the dead. Please raise them from the dead. They are full of good works and charitable deeds. And he said, I'm going to do it. And God received the glory for that. Amen. And you got to ask yourself, would I find myself in that boat or would I be in another boat? Where like, let's hold the funeral. <laughs> you know, I give you the date. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just, I'm just asking you. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just asking you to check your heart and go, Lord, who am I? Who am I? I know who you are in Christ. I'm talking about which joint are you? Which part of me am I supposed to be sharing? And if you don't know what part that is, just start doing something. And when you start moving, God knows how to maneuver you down the right river. Just get up and start serving. That's what I did. I just started serving. I did this and I did that and I did this when I was 12 years old. I just started serving. Before you know it, at 13 years of age, I was asked to lead worship in a cell group. Never led worship before in my life. But I had been singing in my bedroom and practicing songs because I loved to worship Jesus. And I was ready. I knew two songs. <laughs> and from then, at 16, 15... I was asked to lead worship for a church because I had been a David. I had been preparing myself. For what? I don't know. I just got really happy in my room when I led worship. I mean, when I sang. So I started learning songs, and I'd play my guitar, and I'd just feel the Holy Ghost all over me. So three years from the date I was asked to lead worship in a cell group, a minister from a newly starting church said, we don't have any music. Come lead worship for us. And that's just because I was what? Available. I was available. Amen? Amen. Yeah. 
God is not so much concerned with ability as he is with availability, but when you can put the two of them together, you've got firecrackers going off. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So let's talk about, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about Jonathan. Remember Jonathan, Saul's son? Let's go to 1 Samuel 13.6. We may not get to Elisha, but that's okay. I really like this story about Jonathan and his armor bearer. So 1 Samuel, can you, can you uh, flip fast? Because I sure lost my place in my Bible. When the men of Israel saw they were in danger, for the people were distressed, and the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and pits. Okay, here's what's going on. So the Philistines, they are terrorizing the Israelites. And they are setting up raiding parties all along different roads and passes. You know how the, the Indian war raiding parties happened in the, in, the, in the Wild West and all of that? Well, this is, what, this is not brand new. This was happening with the Philistines. And they were setting up all these uh, war parties, and they were raiding and doing things they shouldn't do and killing people off, right? And so next verse, we'll just keep reading there. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Are we in 1 Samuel 13? We are. So let me just jump down and uh, go to Jonathan. That is not the scripture that I wanted. Now it happened, chapter 14, verse 1. That's what I want. Chapter 14, verse 1, 1 Samuel, now it happened one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So here's what happened. Saul is resting at a certain place, putting his feet up. And all of the armies with him. But Jonathan rose up with his armor bearer. What does an armor bearer do? Armor bearer carries the armor. He was serving Jonathan. Now here's what was happening. I'm going to give you the story. The story, what the story goes is that the, the, the Philistine parties that were raiding and they were lying in wait like gorillas on the different roads and the passes where Israelites would come. What they were doing, one of the things they were doing is they were getting rid of every blacksmith in Israel. So they could not make swords and spears, so they had nothing to fight the Philistines with. So the blacksmiths were eliminated from Israel. So all of the Israelites, one of the ways they taunted and terrorized them is all the Israelites had to take their farming tools, their plows, right? Their axes, their pickaxes, their, their plowshares, all the tools of farming that needed to be sharpened, they had to go down to the Philistine camps and get them sharpened. And they just terrorize him. And it was a mess. And Jonathan basically, you know, he's had enough of this. The only two people, except for, the, I guess, for the army, Saul's army, Jonathan and King Saul, they still had their swords. But everybody else in Israel had no sword and no spear, no way to fight. And Jonathan left his father Saul, snuck away with his armor bearer, now, let me read what he said to his armor bearer. So, he's going towards a place called Mishmash, where the Philistines are camping. 
And Jonathan said to the young man, verse 6, chapter 14, who bore his armor, Come on, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Do you understand what you're reading here? Put yourself in this place. Nobody's fighting the Philistines, not even Saul right now. And he has thousands or more in his army. And Jonathan broke away from camp and told his servant, his armor bearer said, let's us go up to this particular camp at Mishmash and let's take him out. But let's kind of play with the sign from the Lord. And he said, if, the, if we, we're going to go up on this crag of the rock and we're going to be on the other side and we're going to show our faces to the Philistines and we're going to just show our face and if they say, halt, stop, we need to come to you and check you out, then we're, not gonna, we're gonna hold our peace and we're not gonna go. But if the Philistines say, come on up here, come on over here, then that's gonna be our sign from the Lord that we're to go and take them because it doesn't matter whether the Lord has many or by few, that he wins. Now, what would a normal church member say? Heck no. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? I'm not following you, Pastor Morgan. Are you wanting to get killed and us with you? You are crazy. That is nuts. But how many times has pastor asked us to do certain things? We're going to go do this. We're going to take the city. We're going to do the Bauer team. We're going to do, you know, a crusade in, in South Apopka. Then we're going to take it to Saturday night, the next in Kitlin Nelson Park. But if he were to ask you to show your face to ISIS... And put out a fleece and go, if they say this, we're going to not do it. And if they say this, we're going to do it. That'll be the Lord's sign that we're supposed to go. I dare say that most of you would be sitting on your laurels going, ain't doing that. It's, so, it's, it's nice for me to sit on the chairs, but I sure ain't following that. This armor bearer said, do all that's in your heart. You got to trust God enough with your life that if you call Pastor Morgan your pastor... That if he gets off, God's going to take care of you no matter what. God's big enough. You're a part of his body. You may not be up on this stage, but you're an elbow or you're a knee or you're a foot or you're a toe. And you're just as much a part as Jesus's body as anybody else's. The more out front, the eyes, the ears, the nose, that might be the evangelist out there. The hands, the feet. But all those other joints may be a little covered, but you're still a part of Jesus' body and he needs every joint putting in its part, every joint supplying. And when Pastor Morgan or the person that God's put you in the local church with says, go, you need to go. And if he's wrong, you say, Lord, you show him, but I'm going to support him and I'm going to support him in prayer and I'm going to do everything we need to do to uphold his hands so we can do the thing that's in his heart. Amen. And I mean, if you read on in the story, there was a mountain. So when they showed themselves on this side of the valley, here's a crag of rocks on both. Here's the, here's the pass. Mishmash is the pass. So the Philistines are over here on this high cliff. They showed themselves, just Jonathan, his armor bearer, showed themselves to them. And they said, come up here and we'll show you a thing or two. They're already at a great disadvantage because they're climbing up a mountain. Yeah. The people on the mountain can pick them off. Come on. Yeah. 
even with a spear, they're done. So Jonathan gets on all fours and he starts heading up the mountain and the armor bearer is carrying his sword, his, his shield, everything. Wow. He's straight after him, climbing up the mountain after him. And here the Philistines are at the top, just waiting. This is going to be an easy takeout. So let's read what happened. Because they said, come, and they, Jonathan said, that's the word of the Lord. Let's go. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hey, I'm reading it, and then I was scared. Amen. So Jonathan climbed up. Verse 13, Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. Jonathan climbed up. Verse 12, the men of the garrison called Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us, and we're going to show you a thing or two. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me. Come up after me. How many of you would follow if it was pastor climbing up the crag of that rock and say, come on up after me? It looks like you're going to get slaughtered, but come on up anyways. The Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. That's Jonathan's word. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And they fell. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. And not only that, the earth began to quake. In another, in the message translation, it says the armor bearer, so he's, he's got his stuff that he's carrying for Jonathan. Then Jonathan grabs his stuff, his sword, right? His, his breastplate, he puts it on, and it says the armor bearer after him finished off the men and dashed their heads with rocks and stones. He didn't even have a sword in his hand. He just took the rocks. Well, you know, Israel has full of rocks, oh, yeah. full of rocks. It says he finished them all off by gashing their heads in with rocks and stones. Two men, and God made the earthquake. And they took out 20 men and another camp came to help them, and they took them out too. Saul, <laughs> down resting his laurels on the other side of the valley in Sheba, hears the commotion and calls roll call and says, what's going on and who's missing? And it was Jonathan and the armor bearer. And he calls the priest, Ahijai, to him and says, get the ephod out. Let's see what the Lord is saying. And the, and the priest is there the Lord, and he stopped him and shut him up and said, because let's go. The earth is quaking. I think God has given us the land, yeah. right? And then he brings all the warriors behind him and they take them all out. Amen. Is that you? Are you willing to be an armor bearer like that? Are you willing to trust God enough with your life? Jonathan's human. He could make errors. He could make errors. But that armor bearer said, do all that is in your heart. He says, all right, we'll, we'll climb up the crag and we'll kill him. No problem. They could take us out. But, you know, Jonathan already said, God's no different to God. He can save with many or he can save with few. So let's talk about Elijah for a minute. I'm not going to read Elijah, but let's talk about him. Elijah is a man of like passions, just like you and I. He had just finished doing the whole prophets of Baal, the fire on the mountain, that miracle, 
slaughtering 300 prophets of Baal, showing them who God was. And then Jezebel sent word to him by somebody that there's a hunt party out for him and she's going to kill him. And he runs for his life and hides and starts pouting. We probably would too. I'm not demeaning him for that. And he started whining to God and said, I'm the only one left in Israel. I'm the only one left that, that serves you. And now she's, she's, she is, is hunting me down and is going to kill me. He just got done doing a mighty miracle that God showed up for. Yeah. And now he's human. He's human. But it was at that time where the Lord told him to do such and such. And in that time, he said, go and you're going to pass a young man by the name of Elisha. And you're going to throw your cloak on him. And he's going to succeed you as a prophet. Even though God told Elijah that, he didn't tell Elisha that. He told Elijah that, but he didn't tell Elisha that. You might have a knowing and a sensing that you're called to a fivefold gift. But if you don't prove yourself faithful, it will never come to pass. And he went by Elisha and he threw the cloak on him. And Elisha was not a poor person. He had 12 yoke of oxen. And he was, he was plowing with the 12th pair. And Elijah walked by and threw his cloak on him. And he's like, my Lord and my king, you know, whatever he said. You know, I'm not going to read it right now. But he knew that that meant something. He knew it meant something, but he still had to obey that. And he looked at Elijah and said, bid me go say goodbye to my mother and father and kiss them. And Elijah stepped back and said, what have I done for you? What have I done to you? I'm not holding you back. I'm not going to make you come. I'm not going to make you go. And he quickly went to his parents' house, kissed him goodbye, and ran and followed the man of God. And it says he served him. And between, what is it, 1 Kings um, 17, and how many chapters are in 1 Kings? I don't know. They go a while after that. And 2 Kings 2, he served and served and, and saw all the miracles that Elijah was doing. And what does that mean to serve? He attended to his needs. He assisted him. He was not on a mighty platform preaching during those years. He served him. And so when came time for God to take Elijah away, Elijah looked at Elisha. And said, hey, I got to go down to Bethel. You stay here. He says, as the Lord lives, I'm going with you. I've been with you this long. I'm going with you. He went down to Bethel and says, I got to go to someplace else. You go ahead and stay here. He was testing him. The Lord was testing him too. Are you going to be faithful to the end? He says, as the Lord lives, I'm not leaving you. I'm going to this place. And even the school, the, the sons of the prophets came out to Elisha and said, do you know he's going to be, he's, you're going to see him being lifted off today and da-da-da. He's like, yes, I do know that. So shut up, be quiet. Don't prophesy, just be quiet. You know, let me alone. And so he went to Jericho. So he's in the, the place between Bethel and Jericho. And he says to Elisha, you stay here. I got to go down to Jericho. He says, as the Lord lives, I'm not stopping now. I'm going with you. And he didn't stop him. Yeah. He just, he gave him opportunity to, to go, if this, this is not what you want to do, you don't want to do it. Right. You know? Right. Are you going to be faithful to the end? So that's what happened. And he went to Jericho, and he saw him being lifted up. And he asked, what do you want? Before he was lifted up, what do you want? He says, I want a double portion. He says, I'm not sure I can give that to you. But this is what I do know. If you see me go, you'll get the double portion. But the truth is, if he didn't see him go, he would still have a great anointing on his life. But he did get to see him go. 
and he got the double portion. And the same cloak that Elijah rolled up and parted the Jordan River with so they could walk across was the same coat that Elisha, coming back over the river, rolled up and parted the Jordan River on his way back. When he hit the waters, he said, Where is the God of Elijah? And the waters parted. And then there's wonderful, beautiful stories of how God took all the training, all those years of Elisha just serving Elijah. And now that mantle fell on him. But it's something, it only, it, even though it was ordained by God, Elisha had a big part in answering that call and really giving his joint share in the ministry. You all, we all are joints that are actively working together. The ministry of helps was set in the church by God. It is not to be looked down on. It is not to be demeaned in any way. Someone cleaning is a blessing. Who wants to walk into a dirty church? Who wants to sit in a dirty chair? Who wants to have water bottles and trash? It is a ble- all around them on a Sunday morning. It is a blessing for someone to take the trash out, for someone to serve in that capacity. And do you know that every time someone doesn't come or they forget to call or they went on vacation, guess who's down here cleaning the church? I am. And I'm happy to do it, or he is, or any of our staff. I'll pick up the phone call, and they're like, yes, ma'am. So you do this, you do this, I'll do this. We're going to get her done. Two hours with five of us working. We're going get to get it done. And so I'm not mad. I do it with joy because I want to bless you. I want you to be blessed when you walk in Sunday morning. But I also want you to be a blessing to others. And there's not a lot of people here tonight, but hopefully the video took. <laughs> Amen. And that more people will see it. Maybe we'll put a boost on it. But you have a part to play. Amen. You have a part to play. So my last scripture is, I think I already read it, but I'm going to read it again. Hebrews 13. I want to read it again. It's okay to read a Bible scripture twice. Amen. God doesn't care. Um, 13. I want to, I may not have. 13, 16. But do not forget... Everybody say, I will not forget forget. to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they are the stars. They're perfect. They're wonderful entertainers. That's not, I mean, they could be. Some people are entertainers. Some people obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they what? They watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. If, if what you're doing here is for the Lord and as unto the Lord, then if we were to do something wrong, that doesn't mean all your work is lost. Because you didn't do it for us. You did it as under the Lord. And you get the reward of what would have happened if we did stay the course 
and not be discarded on the spiritual junk heap of life. So you win no matter what. That does not give excuse for us to do wrong. We have our own giving account to him and we are under a stricter judgment. Don't covet this position. (laughs) Covet to prophesy. Covet to edify each other. That's what really God's saying. Covet the simple gift of prophecy, which is for edification and exhort. You all are a blessing. Every, everything from the greeters to the children's workers, children's teachers, youth leaders, Josh and Karen ministering to your youth, to the ushers. We really wouldn't do it well without you. We could do it. It's possible. But those first faces that they meet that are smiling at them, it's hard walking in a church cold turkey. It's hard. But when you're out there greeting and smiling and shaking their hand, it's so much more life-changing for them. That first impression is not us. It's you. And so you're a blessing. You're just as much a blessing as we are. So ask the Lord. Go home tonight and go, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do as far as edifying the body of Christ? Amen. And God will bless you like you have never, ever, ever seen before. Some of you may end up in a five-fold ministry. Some of you may not. But you'll get the same blessing on you as the one that you're supporting. Amen. And hey, I mean, if you're both getting $5 million, what does it matter? What share you put in? Amen? Right, Jordan? Praise the Lord. We talked about cryptos and shares and stocks and how things work. It's like, what does it matter if you both get the same share, whether you did this one or that one, if you both get, if it's it's yielding the same APY? Amen? So I love you all. Love you all online. God bless you. Have a great night. Go share those verses with somebody. And encourage yourself in the Lord with these verses and people. And do your best to stop and gently correct in love anyone that you might hear that tells a nursery worker, you missed it. You go tonight, I would ask that every one of you in here go to the youth room or the children's church or the nursery and say, we love you We appreciate what you're doing. You're amazing. Amen. God bless you. Have a good night. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel to our podcast to our SoundCloud and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing. It helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big give now button, or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this, we grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.